Welcome to this edition of Zonta on the Move. The topic today hits home, and it's a difficult topic. We're going to hear a story specifically from one of our own, and we invite you to sit with us while we work through what to do when tragedy strikes. I'd like to introduce one of our co-hosts, Bonnie Winfrey. Um, Bonnie is going to talk about her niece, Maya Smith. And um, our other co-host here with us tonight is Lisa Pappas. I am Pat Perrier. Bonnie. Thank you so much, Pat. And thank you, Lisa. And it's always great to be here for the podcast. Um, I unfortunately had... um, a sad incident, a sick incident, happened to me um, earlier this month, last month, it's February now. My niece was brutally murdered. Um, she was lured to an alley and um, shot numerous times and killed with her two-month-old baby in the back seat. And the baby was there for six hours and um, she was the eyewitness to the murder. Um, I want to talk about my niece, Maya. Uh, Maya was just a beautiful person, a beautiful girl with ambitions of becoming a nurse. And um, unfortunately, she met someone who was an evil force to her and that caused her bodily harm and It's just been a negative experience for our entire family. Um, This girl had so much promise and energy. She was a great mom. She was a great person to know. And for someone to come and just snatch her life from her is just crazy. Um, It's been something that has been hard for my entire family, me included. And we're all just trying to to get through it. And today on this podcast, we want to dedicate it to how do you heal when negative things in life come up, tragedy, and it just turns you in a different direction. We have a great person to talk to today. Her name is Pastor Bev Tucker, and she's amazing when it comes to healing and deliverance. And um, we're going to be talking to her and to find out how my family, your family, and all the other families that we know about um, that have gone through things in the past can get around it. Um, I've met uh, Pastor Bev on another situation when uh, last year, last year, as a matter of fact, I broke my ankle. I stepped out from a facility and fell on some black ice. Couldn't see anything. And all of all I can remember was that I was down on the ground and there was this huge truck kind of focused on me. And two people, I call them angels, they were like, please don't move, don't move, don't move. And I didn't. And they were trying to find their way to me to help me up. 
they knew I was injured. But with that, I was concerned because the truck couldn't see me because um, it was a huge truck and it was very dark at night. And so trauma immediately set in. Trauma set in where here it was, me on the ground, this truck I'm thinking will just run me over. And I want to stop right there with that story until um, Pastor Bev Tucker joins us because she's going to tell you what she did. And uh, we're going to talk about how that story got even dimmer. So right now we want to bring her aboard so that we can talk further. So, Pastor Bev, um, thank you so much for being a part of this um, podcast. Just want to, I was telling uh, everyone how you and I met and just Uh kind of briefly what happened to me leading into how you and I met. But I want you to just tell everybody um, who you are and what you do. Okay, well, basically, uh, I guess I'm Pastor Bev Tucker and... uh, I actually, my ministry is International Freedom Ministry, and uh, basically what I do is I help people get free from all sorts of different things, from, you know, uh, anxiety, depression, traumas, uh, any kind of bondages, and uh, almost like lockups in their lives that, you know, possibly where they've been through traumatic situations and end up kind of being stuck in life, you know, or even coming out of witchcraft and learning, helping them to learn how to break free of that. And uh, so basically it's deliverance ministry, uh, but it's deliverance ministry with a different, I guess I would say, take than what I've seen for years in the past. And so we've kind of established a deliverance ministry that is not wild and crazy and doesn't glorify the devil, but rather glorifies God. And because of that, we get a lot of results with it. So, you know, I don't know if that explains kind of what you wanted. Yes, it does. It does. It does. I'm going to go on to talk about how you and I um, actually hooked up. So I fell and I broke my ankle. And after breaking my ankle, um, I unfortunately went through an experience of wearing a cast on it. And um, I did not know that a cast could cause claustrophobia. And then the other thing that happened, uh, which was really something, is I was declared like legally blind. As a result, every day I woke up, my vision was just diminished. And um, so I found out from that, you know, I had to live with that. My husband had to, you know, carry me around and help me and and all of that. I mean, it was a very traumatic experience. And I had heard about you in the way of freeing people and deliverance. And because what I didn't say was what happened was mental trauma set in for me, anxiety and things like that. I couldn't sleep. You know, I went um, weeks and I would say, 
maybe months without sleeping or anything. Um, I wasn't me and I didn't have my own life. And then I heard of you through a friend that said, you need to go see Pastor Bev Tucker because she special she specializes in deliverance. And I said, okay. Um, I, I don't know if at the time I had had, what had happened was the cataracts just kind of increased and increased and increased with me just like daily. That's why I couldn't see. And so mm-hmm. I drove to Rockford. My husband and I drove to Rockford. And I remember yeah. the first time I was talking to you and um, you said, well, we might have to change our appointment or something like this. Like, no, we cannot do that. <laughs> Not at all, you know, because I had suffered so much. But um, I want you to kind of talk about that experience a little bit. But what I want to say to our listening audience is, is that, you know, I was freed at a, as a result of going to see you. Um, I had never, ever been through anything like that in my entire life. And um, I just want to speak to people going through things with anxiety and pain. There is another side. Yes, there sure is. There sure is. So, okay. So you want me to kind of go back through how we prayed or? Yes. Okay. Well, basically kind of how I always do it is I kind of start out doing a person's history kind of, you know, to find out, what's going on in your life and uh, kind of to see where doors have been opened up for basically any of those things to have access to your life. So we did that. And then we did some prayers to uh, pray and break any legal rights the enemy may have gotten. So we just kind of repented and renounced and came out of agreement with all of that. And then basically just started commanding those things to leave you and they did they obeyed because they had to in the name of jesus and that is so true and um yeah from that day on i was free i was totally myself again it was amazing and then i at the beginning of the show i was talking about the fact of my niece who was 24 years old brutally shot to death multiple times with her two-month-old baby in the car. Um, it's just been really, really sickening. It's been hard for, you know, us to deal with. Um, my niece was a, Maya was a very loving person. We were just together um, Christmas, all enjoying one another, having a, a great time. And did we even think that two weeks later, you know, we would be dealing with something like this? How can people overcome tragedy and negative things that come up against them in their lives? Mm-hmm. Well, basically, um, that would definitely come under like a trauma. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and there's all different types of traumas, emotional, physical, and even it can be, I, I believe, spiritual traumas. But uh, when the first time I think I ever dealt with trauma and I'm just going to kind of go back and because uh, my thinking was always and this is before my husband and I had originally gotten into the deliverance ministry and actually we weren't looking for even to get into deliverance ministry we had um, when we first got saved we actually ended up moving into a house that had spirits in it 
And we ended up, the house burned down three years or three months after we got into it. And, but it, it's like we didn't leave alone when we left that house. But some of those things came with us. And so we not knowing, because we had just gotten saved exactly how to deal with spiritual forces, really ended up having no victory for a long time. And uh, I can remember we went to our pastor and talked to him and said we felt maybe some things had you know, accessed our life or followed us or whatever. He just kind of poo-pooed us and, you know, brushed it off and, you know, gave us some uh, advice to basically, like, deal with our issues in a better way, you know. But, you know, I always like to say this. Uh, Jesus doesn't didn't say to counsel demons. He didn't say to medicate demons. He didn't say to discipline demons. He said cast them out. So, again, not getting right advice. We ended up dealing with those for quite a few years beyond that. And then finally, um, especially with one of our children. And so finally, because of that, um, our son came one day to us and said, Mom, I just need to get help. So we decided to look for a deliverance minister and found out they were nowhere. <laughs> Could not find one in the church. So... Um, I had bought, purchased a book, and it was called, I don't think it was called Curses on Forgiveness and Deliverance or something like that. And I can remember having put it in my bookcase, and I don't even thought to myself, I don't even know why I bought this. But that day, the Holy Spirit told me, go look at, find that book. So I did, and on the back of the book, this man that if you needed prayer, he would pray with you, him and his wife in their home. And they were actually a couple out of Tennessee. So we went to Tennessee, and it turned our lives around after prayer. I mean, literally turned our lives around. But uh, basically what we didn't realize was that when we came back here to the Rockford area, that uh, he uh, started out with one person. He said the Lord told him to come to us. And my reply was he did, because we did not know anything about deliverance. But he came over, Willem came over, and we prayed with him, and God did a radical healing in his life and deliverance from cocaine and alcohol and lust, did a lot of healing, and he began to send addicts to us, right and left. So all of a sudden we dealt with all sorts of issues with people that pains and traumas and abuses they'd been through maybe in their lives and finding out we really didn't know enough. So we actually went to a school up in Canada that taught on those things. And that was the first time I ever saw trauma dealt with. And they were the guy who was teaching taught on he was teaching on trauma, but he taught about trauma as being a spirit. And to me in my thinking, trauma was something that happened to you physically. You would go to the hospital, you know, maybe some shock and trauma, but it could be all fixed in, in the hospital. So anyway, he wanted to know if there was anyone in the audience who had been in an accident or suffered a severe trauma. And so this guy came up and he had been uh, in a first cycle accident. He had uh, had numerous surgeries, uh, but he had not gained mobility back in his one arm. So they 
prayed over him and commanded a spirit of trauma to come out of him in the name of Jesus. And literally, the man fell out, basically under the power of God, got up, and his arm was completely healed, and he had complete mobility of it. And I can remember thinking, oh my goodness, I'd never seen anything like that. Well, then as I continued working and studying, you know, I used to teach at a at a Christian school's teacher there and, and um, had a friend who was in the public school system here. And she started bringing me things about trauma and how uh, they were studying different things on children who were uh, coming out of divorce families, things like that, and the traumas they were dealing with. So that was kind of when I began to look into emotional trauma and such as these kind of things. So what I found out in dealing with like tragedy or negative things, such as what you've been through. And, mm-hmm. and you know, I, uh, uh, I, I really began to study on trauma and I actually have a whole teaching on that, but uh, because people can um, deal with traumas in different, different ways. And some traumas are very severe, actually would be like the one that you all have been through with your niece. Mm-hmm. I have a friend that we ministered to who was in um, Afghanistan. And when he shared, this is what part of his story, he felt he was still, he was still dealing with the trauma of, he was kind of like, commander over his group. He had five men under him and they were all killed one night. And so of course he took on the responsibility, but his, his dad, his, his best friend died in that. So, uh, what we did when we prayed with him, his name was Steve. And we said, okay, Steve, we're just going to have you close your eyes and let yourself go back to that place. And because where where you're still dealing with that trauma, where you're still seeing all of that, because he he literally was seeing all of that and was not able to go back uh, past that and be free of all of the guilt, the hurt, the the loss he suffered in his life. So he closed his eyes, and I said to him, "Okay, now we're going to ask the Lord, and by faith we're going to come out of there." Okay. So we did. We began to literally, physically walk out of that place where he felt he had dealt with losing uh, his men. And he said, when we got done uh, praying with him, he said he could literally hear the sounds of the truck, the, the howling sound of the truck going as they were trying to rush his friends. It's like the whole flashback of that came back to him. And as he felt he was stepping out of that place that he had been locked up, we asked the Lord to reintegrate. Because remember, Jesus is the healer of the broken person. We're not. We asked the Lord to reintegrate that broken place in his life and heal him and grow him up. Or in other words, bring him up into the place he is now. And it was radical for him. I can tell you all sorts of stories from children being adults that would still be dealing with sexual trauma and from being abused sexually, doing the same thing, letting them go back, taking them out of where they're locked up in that 
and of course, I do a few other things too, like having them forgive the person. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, Getting sure. them to release that, those kind of things. And, you know, if there's fear there, we call out some different things, fear, sexual, like if I'm dealing with sexual abuse, you know, the traumas of that. And then again, pray healing and ask the Lord to reintegrate the broken places. Because a person, and medically, they'll tell you this, and, and I, years ago, I didn't even believe in this. But per, medically, they'll tell you that a person can be disassociated. Uh, some psychiatrists will go even to the degree of multiple personalities, but it's basically the same thing. And I used to think that a multiple personality was just a demon. It's not. It is actually that person's soul has been broken. And yes, it, it probably is demonized because of the trauma, but you get and deal with that and ask the Lord to reintegrate them. And the healing is amazing. It's just amazing. So you were mentioning so, earlier about forgiveness. You know, forgiveness can be kind of hard um, when yep. someone wrongs you. Um, can you talk further about that, how to forgive and why people should forgive? Okay. Yes, I can. Uh, we have to forgive. That's a non-negotiable. And the reason we have to forgive is because that is where our freedom comes. Otherwise, if we do not forgive, we will continue to stay tied to the person who wronged us. And we will also stay tied to whatever they did to us. Okay. So many, many times people, when they wrong you, they don't care. But you're the one who suffers from that. So when you are willing to deal with that, uh, and forgive them, then you can begin to move forward in your life again. It, and that can be a place of lockup or a place where, you know, a person uh, can be stuck in those areas uh, from that. But uh, this is one thing I always like to tell people. Uh, rather than choose to be a victim, you have to choose to be a victor. And when I was preaching on unforgiveness and bitterness, uh, the Lord said, look up the word victim. So I looked it up, and this is what it, a word, the victim means in the Webster Dictionary. And it, what it said is it is a living being offered, a human being offered as a sacrifice to a deity in the performance of a religious rite. So basically what that is saying, it would be like a person's life being offered as a sacrifice to maybe a molester or uh, a betrayal or something like that. And so you keep serving that thing by continually, it's almost like a a false worship where you go back and you worship or because you're, you know, worship isn't just always praising, praising. Worship is what's giving your time, you're giving your time and your attention to. So we definitely do not want to be a victim. Okay. And then also unforgiveness will shackle you to your offender, uh, invite attacks from the enemy, and work destruction in every area. But this is what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not denial, saying it was okay. It's not repression, burying the hurt, and it's not excusing what was done, and it's not always reconciliation. I have a question on that, though, if I can kind of interject here for a moment, because um, as um, this is Pat, by the way, um, as women, particularly, we're often told forgive and forget. 
And I don't particularly ascribe to that. I'll go ahead and forgive, but I'm not going to forget. Because you learn from those lessons. No, and I'm not saying you're saying that. I'm just pointing out Mm -hmm. to add kind of the next corner to the table that we're building here. Forgiveness sometimes for some people implies just forget it. It's okay. It's done now. No. Because we can't. No, it's not. Right. To make that distinction. Yeah. yeah, I just wanted to make that distinction because I think a lot of times, for especially for those of us in in certain generations, we were always told, you know, to be the nice person and you know be be the bigger person and just let things go. And I find as I get older, I let a lot less go. <laughs> And I, I'm more uh-huh. often ready to call someone out and say that is not acceptable anymore. And I don't have to take that from someone. And I, so I can forgive right. someone being rude to me. I'm not going to forget that they were rude. And that's like I'm not, no, I'm not but- I don't want to trivialize it, but I'm just saying we often forgive and forget kind of goes together and it shouldn't. No. And also what you want to do with this is, is uh, put up boundaries. But yes. let me go back and say it. it's not denial. It's not like pretending what was done is okay because it's not because what they did was not okay. Whatever it is, whether it's maybe sexual abuse, physical abuse, mm-hmm. whether it's betrayal, whether it's stealing, lying on you, that's not okay. And it's not you just burying it, which would be like, just forget it. Okay. It's not repression. It's not excusing it. So not saying this again was okay. And it doesn't mean always reconciliation because, it again, if you deal with a person that wrongs you, you know, it's pretty dumb if you keep going back into that same situation. Yep. You. So if I Definitely. say I forgive you, mm-hmm, I can forgive you, but that don't mean, you know, it's going to be like, see this boundary line? We're not crossing this no more because mm-hmm. you're a person who violates. And so, no, we're, you know, so you have to keep up boundaries with certain people. Some people you can actually really come back into uh, and reconcile with, but there's a lot you can't either. We so talk about we do uh, talk yeah. about that a lot with our programs in Zanta, especially with regard to domestic violence, child marriage, um, different programs that Zanta International has had, where we weave in those ideas that you can get you can get past being a victim, but you also have to make those strict boundaries and you have to make yourself strong so that you can move on to where you can be um, productive and free of that burden of being the victim. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And you have to. Uh, what's your what's your channel on YouTube? I, I, I believe it's just Beverly Tucker, Bev Tucker. Okay, good. So we I'm can on, send I'm on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can. You can find me. I do all sorts of teachings. I do teachings on rejection, witchcraft. Um, I haven't done one on inner healing in a while. I'm also on Instagram. Okay. I've, you know, done some on podcasts with Charisma House, but okay. I just continue with them. So, you know, but yeah. Great. I'm, I'm on all of those. And yeah. All right, thank you for that, because we we'll, we can uh, send our listeners there to if they uh, wish to get in touch with you or if they wish to just kind of scope out what your offerings are. That'd be a great place for them to start then. Yeah. Another thing is yeah, that you have several books out there and oh, they can reach out to you for your books as well. Yes. And also I have a book on children's deliverance. I have a book on rejection, identity thief exposed because rejection wants to steal your identity and 
in that one, I actually go back through a lot of places where people can be stuck, and I also have prayers in that book. And then I have the big manual, Setting the Captives Free, and that's, again, loaded with prayers and breakdown of how things can have access to our life and basically how to get free of those things. And uh, again, on YouTube or Instagram or even Facebook, I, I'm not getting on this week because I'm getting ready to leave uh, here day after tomorrow. And I have to teach a class tomorrow. So I just didn't have time to get on it. So, well, Pastor but, Bev, yeah, we I, just want to thank you for just being a part of this podcast today. And um, definitely um, offering advice for healing and um, to just show us the right way to go. And um, we want to give a special shout out to our audience too, for joining us. And um, we just really, you know, I didn't say mm -hmm. this, but my books, my books are on Amazon. So I didn't say that you can get them on Amazon or you can at BevTuckerMinistries.com too. I'm sorry, but yeah. Yes, we want to encourage our listeners to go and get those books because um, your teachings are sound. But thanks a lot for coming aboard to the podcast today. And um, we just can't thank you enough for um, um, your wisdom and um, the advice that you've given us. When you go through tragedy and when it strikes your home, you need to get help. Um, this is something that is a very negative thing that happens. And you just want to know, what can you do to move forward? Well, today we have with us Betty Major Rose. She's the founder and CEO of Parents Against Gangs. And she is also the founder of the Family Trauma Advocacy and Counseling Center. Thank you, Betty, for joining us here. Thank you so much for having me, uh, Bonnie. It's a pleasure. You know, tell our audience what you do. Well, I know it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, first of all, I started off with um, working in the Cook County State's Attorney's Office and homicide. I'm semi-retired now. Mm-hmm. And I ended up working uh, homicide, sexual assault, domestic violence. And I ended up, before I retired, working um, in nuisance abatement, where I was forced to close down drug houses in mm. the city of Chicago and in Cook County. Mm-hmm. Wow. So um, prior to that... Um, I started the Family Trauma Advocacy Program, Parents Against Gangs. Mm -hmm. So basically, we counsel and give families who've lost loved ones through violence, Mm -hmm. grief support, and we do grief therapy. Wow, that is something. Today they're saying that there have been over 163 mass shootings. And um, to think about that and think about... um, you know, my niece was murdered, you know. Um, we've been really dealing with a bad time. And uh, one of the things that you do is you um, deal with um, living beyond loss and grief. You even have a book out, which we'll talk about later, Shattered But Not Broken. 
tell us, tell our audience again, why you're committed to what you do and your story. I'm committed to what I do because of the compassion and uh, that I have for others who have lost family members. Mm-hmm. In 1983, my daughter was, was murdered mm. on the uh, north side of Chicago. And um, I felt helpless when that happened. So after going through the trial, I um, founded and established the program. She was killed. um, It was a gang member, but it wasn't a gang-related death. So being a, a mother who lost a child through, I wouldn't say gang violence. As I said, he was, you know, a gang member. And I wanted to work with families who had lost family members through violence and gang-related issues. Mm. So that's why I founded Parents Against Gangs. How old was your daughter? She was 17. Oh, my God. That was just devastating, I know. It, it was. I mean, uh, the treatment that I had gotten from the hospital I know doctors have to care about patients and their well-beings. But when a family comes in who had lost a family member through violence, Mm -hmm. they don't have that same compassion towards families. Mm -hmm. Was she shot like my niece? She was shot in the head. Wow. um, Several times. Mm Mm-mm-mm. Uh, she was in a car with uh, a group of friends, and two brothers got into an argument over 85 cents. 85 cents. And uh, the two brothers, got in, uh, when they got into the argument, they stepped out of the car because he wanted to search him to see if he had the money on him. So he did, and once they got out, they started tussling, and then the, one of the brothers got back into the car, and the one that had taken the money from the young lady who was in the car, um, he started firing in the he started firing inside the car. Engineer, he was struck in the head several times. Wow! Was there anyone else shot or killed? The young lady, she was wounded. She had mm-hmm. a wrist wound, and uh, it was it was so devastating because when I got to the hospital, they told me that Janeria was in surgery. Mm. And I had hope that she was going to be okay. And time passed, and I wanted to know, could we go up to the surgical waiting room area? Mm-hmm. And I said, it's taken so long, somebody should have come out here to let me know exactly what was going on and give us some status and update. But no one came out to tell us. So when I kept going back and forth to the informational desk, mm-hmm. uh, finally um, a nurse came out. And she escorted me and my husband and my oldest daughter uh, to a waiting area, an exam room. And when I, uh, when they set me in there, a few minutes later, a doctor came in and called her by the wrong name and told me that they did everything they could, but uh, she died. Oh, my God. And I found out she was not in the, she was not in surgery. 
they told me that because they were cleaning her up. And that was devastating to have my hope yes. shattered, uh -huh. thinking that she was going to be okay after the surgery. Wow. But um, they lied. Right. For so, no apparent reason. Sad. Me. That is so sad. So in your case, and even in my case, how did you cope with that strategy? That tragedy when it came upon you? I didn't know how to cope. Right. Because uh, this was something new to me before. Mm -hmm. I knew my daughter was taken away in a violent manner. Mm -hmm. I knew that I had to survive for my other kids. But I didn't know how to process what I was going through because at that time they didn't have any support groups or individuals that I could talk to and I was looking all over and everything was way further northwest or southwest where I couldn't get to them and there were very few support groups that was available. So I had to deal with this the best way I knew how, and that was to pray and seek God to give me comfort uh, for my shattered and broken heart. And along with my kids, not knowing how to grieve, mm -hmm. which at the time I didn't know that I really was, mm -hmm. and also to support them. So this isn't your only tragedy, right? No, no. Um, my first husband was killed. Mm, sorry. Uh, and I uh, was pregnant with my last child. Mm -hmm. And prior to that, my brother at the age of 12, he drowned. Mm. Um, I am so sorry. So he, um, he was an excellent swimmer. And they had gone out a hot summer afternoon. He had gone out swimming, and the uh, the kids always knew when they went swimming, he would clown around because they he was a good swimmer. So he said he was just showing off. So uh, when he went under, they thought, you know, he was playing in his arms. They thought that he was doing his normal showing off kick. Mm -hmm. And when he went down for the third time, um, he didn't resurface. Wow. So some of his friends... Uh, jumped in to try to see if they could find him, and they, they couldn't. So that was my first experience with death was my brother. Mm -hmm. He was 12. And we were close, mm -hmm. and that devastated me. So I didn't know how to grieve at that time. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to process it because then, you know, when somebody died years ago, <clears throat> they just said, get on with your life. And all that was buried. You didn't have to, you didn't talk about it. Mm -hmm. That was it. There's this book out, uh, a friend of mine, she just passed away uh, about a year ago, and it's um, called Feelings Buried Alive Never Die. And it's I like by that. Carol Truman. And the book has gone all over the world, and it's so true that those feelings stay with you. They do. That's why I'm so thankful that you are around. Even though you didn't have help for yourself, you're there just helping so many other people. How did you get that together and be able to be an advocate for so many others after losing your husband, your <laughs> baby, your son, I mean, your brother, your daughter? 
my mother, my grandmother, my sisters. Oh, wow. So how did you, um, how did you pull together what you have in your program to help people? Um, you're not just helping people, um, you're helping different groups, crisis um, intervention type programs. And um, that's a, that's a blessing. Truly well, a blessing. the thing about it, really after Janeria died, in my experience with the hospital, I didn't want anybody to have to experience what I experienced. Um, the, the devastation that just rocked my whole being. Mm -hmm. uh, having doctors and nurses to tell you or give you hope that your child would would possibly pull through mm -hmm. and um, they knew it wasn't true mm -hmm. so I um, started the uh, hospital-based program. And that was in, that's what I'm getting my, I, uh, I started that in, no, I started Parents Against Gangs first mm -hmm. because of the gang situation mm -hmm. in 1987 mm -hmm. uh, to give parents support and to pull the young, young people out of, out of the gangs. Mm -hmm. So I know it wasn't, it wasn't cool as they thought that it would be that either you're going to die or go to prison. And then your parents would be left devastated because you're gone. So I started that program in 1987. And then the hospital-based program, I started that because of the fact that how I was treated, I didn't want anybody to, any other family to go through that. Mm -hmm. So... I had advocates myself. In the hospital, we were on call. Mm -hmm. uh, we were on call 24-7. And when a trauma patient would come in, the doctors or the nurses would give us a call and we would meet the family at the hospital to be with them. So they would have an advocate advocating for them during that time so they could uh, be kept abreast of what's going on because the doctors and nurses would allow us to do that, even when they were in surgery. That's great. So that helped us a lot. And then after that, I started the uh, crisis response team mm -hmm. uh, through the Department of Human Services. They called us when Chicago had this porch collapse in um, 19, 2003. Uh, they had a uh, um, 13 people died at that time, and I was at the hospital, so they called the hospital. So my team went over to be with the families and the victims uh, who survived. Uh, so um, that's how the hospital-based program started. And then we went on to develop um, the counseling, and I have licensed therapists in there for that. So my life experience helped me to... Uh, establish and develop 
these different programs to be able to assist families uh, who otherwise would not have an advocate advocating for them. So there's different crisis teams that are we have a mimicking crisis. your your model. Oh uh, yes, I mean no one organization could do it, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm happy and excited that uh, they were able to implement the programs because I'm on the north side. I can't cover one organization can't cover everything. Right. So therefore, um, I'm I'm happy to to know that they emulated the program to be able to service the people in their community and otherwise. That is great. So you've written a book and uh, tell our audience what the name of the book is. I have it in my purse there. So to get us shattered but not broken, living beyond grief. And I've learned to live beyond grief, uh, helping others to, um, to see that even though tragedy has happened in your, in your life, and you're going to always, uh, grief, you never get over that. It's something you're going to live for the rest of your life. But it's not as intense as it was. You know, each time it, it gets better and better. So with me pouring myself into helping others, it helped me. But writing this book, I wanted to write about Janaria. Mm-hmm. And what I had gone through, even with the Cook County State's Attorney's Office, uh, going through the court system. That's why I have advocates in court, uh, because I didn't get the support and the information about the trial dates and and going to court. So um, I wanted to write about that in my book. But as I began to write, all those buried Feelings had begun to resurface, so I had to go from the beginning when I first lost. Mm. So that was a trying time. Wow, I know that was hard for you to do that. So how can people purchase your book? Through Amazon. Uh, Just go to Amazon, Shattered But Not Broken, Betty Major Rose. And I want you to read your secondary title there, too. (sighs) One woman's inspiring story about living beyond grief, loss and grief. Where are you now? After writing the book, after going through the tragedies, after helping so many people, where are you now? Betty Major Rose, where are you? I'm at a place right now that I am living beyond all of the traumatic experiences that I have gone through. But with the death of my great-grandbaby, she was four years old, Rebecca, we found out that she had neuroblastoma um, June, was it, I think? Of this year? Last year. Last she year. died in June of last year. We found out she had it in, I think, around... January, February, somewhere around that during the summer. I'm sorry. Um, and she died in um, June of last year. But where I am right now, I'm back to square one. 
So the process repeats itself after every incident? That's what it seems to be doing. But you're still out there helping people. I'm still helping. I'm helping because it helps me to be able to give them comfort. And it's comforting me knowing that I can do that. Well, it's just helping me to sit here and talk with you and find out about your book. And um, I want to encourage all our viewers to go to Amazon and pick it up, Shattered, Not Broken. And this book is by um, Betty Major Rose. And I'm pretty sure it will make a difference in your life. Um, She has put her whole heart into this book. And I just want to ask you, Betty... Is there anything else you want to say to our listening audience? I would say to them, those who are grieving, to give yourself permission to grieve. Just like we give our permission, ourselves permission to do other things. But sometimes we bury our feelings. We hide and we mask them, that we're okay. We walk around thinking we have to be strong for everybody else and not take care of ourselves. But give yourself permission to grieve, acknowledge your feelings, and share. I have a saying, sharing is a part of healing. Share with family members, share with close friends, get into uh, a grief support group with people that can relate to you And you can start to begin to process it. Because if you don't process what you're feeling, it stays there. Mm. It's dormant. So that will allow allow that individual to begin to stir up those feelings and release them. And it won't be as intense. Yeah. I just want to thank you for all that you do. And I want to thank you for being there for my family as far as they're in court, court has been very difficult for us. And, you know, your um, your foundation, your company uh, provides counseling and counseling is, is very important uh, for everybody to get to the next level. And if you're listening out there, I want you to pick up the phone and just call Betty uh, Major Rose. And if you're grieving and you want to go and get better, um, contact her at the Family Trauma Advocacy and Counseling Center. And um, is there a number there that you could share with our listeners? Uh, the number is 779-379-5858. Or they can reach me at 773-677-9947. Well, that is so great. And I just want to thank you. I want you to thank, I just want to thank you for coming on our Zanta podcast, and and as I said, we're talking today about what to do when trauma strikes. Thank you so much, Betty, for just sharing with us. We appreciate you. I appreciate you for what you're doing. And even though you uh, had such a devastating loss, you still, you know, are providing support and information to others to be able to help themselves to help their family members. Thank you. 
We have to keep doing that. I do have one, just one side question. Gangs, if there's a gang member listening and um, maybe have been involved in a shooting or want to shoot somebody, what would you tell them? It's not worth it. Mm-hmm. It's not worth putting yourself and your family in jeopardy. Um, and real quick, I remember uh, when Mayor, De- Mayor Jane Byrne, you remember her? Yes. His, I worked alongside her when she went into one of the apartments in Cabrini Green, but she had police force all around her. Um, I was able to go in uh, in that area with the uh, the gangster disciples and the vice lords. Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, I pulled those together. I was in there for about a month talking to the families talking to them and all. And on the blacktop uh, in Cabrini Green, I had both gang fractions. We had a uh, a cookout mm-hmm. at that time, and it had never been done mm-hmm. before. And the kids were able to play without gunfire going off. Mm-hmm. And it was an awesome time to bring them together. And you can come together. Yes. You can. And they did. And I was so proud of them. I even took them to Great America for doing, you know, because they did a ceasefire. They wanted family. And yes. you were being that mother for them and um, counselor and everything else. It was a wonderful experience for I always for say it comes down to love, you know. Mm-hmm. Showing, showing them compassion. Showing mm-hmm. them that they can uh, go beyond uh, um, this gang type stuff uh, trying to be macho, uh, trying, you know, and some of these kids are afraid mm-hmm. uh, and they're being enticed to get in, but you have to stand up for what you believe. That's true. So I was real proud of that and um, that helped a lot. Yeah. Thank you so much. Everybody pick up the book, Shattered But Not Broken by Betty Major Rose. Thank you again. My pleasure. It's been a pleasure for me. Bonnie, I want to thank you for um, sharing your your situation and your family's tragedy with us and for sharing Pastor Bev with, with our listeners um, and her way of helping you and your family heal. Um, Some of us are maybe not as spiritual um, or religious, um, but I certainly still found some things from this that um, I think anyone can relate to. And the whole idea of forgiveness and being able to move on and letting go, um, I think, were were things that anybody can can learn from. Um, And, you know, we have so many people who suffer with all sorts of different tragedies, but we have really focused in Zanta about domestic violence. Um, and it, this is one way that people can start to heal from, from that, those awful things that have happened. Um, and we're sorry um, that your family is going through what they're going through. So thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you, Lisa. We encourage you to uh, check us out on the website and check us out on our, our social media. Julie at Zanta.org. Thank you. Good night, everyone, and have a wonderful evening. 
Zanta on the Move is hosted and produced by Bonnie Winfrey, Pat Perrier, and Lisa Pappas. It is engineered and edited by Alex Melkars. Zanta on the Move is recorded in the WCSF studio on the campus of the University of St. Francis in Joliet, Illinois. The views reflected in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of the University of St. Francis, WCSF, University Administration, or the Catholic Diocese of Joliet.